Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see you all, good to be with you all. I am thankful uh, for the opportunity again to be before you uh, in the Word of God. I am thankful to let you know this morning that we will be starting a new series today. We have just concluded a series on 1 Peter, and now naturally we're going to start a new se- uh, series walking through uh, the Second Peter together, uh, Peter's second letter uh, to the church. And so if you could join me there in Second Peter, I will tell you that we will be in Second Peter for about the next seven weeks or so, which will ultimately, uh, believe it or not, lead us into Advent season. And so uh, it's amazing to think already that here we are getting ready for uh, trunk or treat, and Christmas is literally around the corner. I don't know if you've been to the stores recently, but we are now being reminded uh, that Christmas is not that far off. Well, in coming into sec- uh, Peter's second letter uh, here, Peter is actually reminding the church, or will remind the church, I guess you could say, about the fundamental beliefs that we as Christians know to be true. So what we have before us is a letter coming from Peter of information that has already been spoken and already been known. And so I think a better way to look at 2 Peter this morning is to see it as a a call to remember, or better yet, as we are going to call it over the next seven weeks, a call to never forget. Now it's interesting to me because when we use the phrase never forget, often it's associated with a lot of big events or big moments that we've seen in history uh, from a larger perspective, a larger context in terms of how it's affected us and our country and the world. But at the same time, we use the phrase never forget in order to remind ourselves of some very uh, small, maybe more uh, personal moments that have happened in our life that we will remember forever. Now, usually the phrase never forget is accompanied with the following question. Where were you when fill-in-the-blank event happened or occurred? Now, in answering that question, we have a generation that has come before us that can tell you exactly where they were uh, during the events of Pearl Harbor as they heard uh, what unfolded in Hawaii on that day through radio broadcast. They remember where they were. They remember what was going on. They remember how they felt. Many of us were uh, alive during 9-11, and we remember what it was like that morning to watch planes crash into the World Trade, Center, uh, World Trade Centers and into the Pentagon and also in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. We remember where we were. We remember who we were with. We remember our feelings and our emotions that day as we wondered what would happen next. Some of us have dealt with more crisis events in our lives personally. Some of us may have grown up in a, in a day and a time where we experienced some sort of mass shooting. Maybe it was a, a school shooting that happened. Some of us have experienced war on a very personal level. And so we remember the sounds and the smells. We remember the voices and where we were. Maybe you remember something that was more personal, something that was more celebratory. I imagine many of us with children probably remember what it was like the day uh, our children were born. You probably remember the, the noises in the hospital. You remember the cries. You remember the words of the doctors. I remember uh, finding out uh, upon having our fourth child, I remember the doctor telling, uh, asking me, uh, Johnny, are you looking forward to enjoying a man room with a child? And I said, yes, absolutely. And they said, good, because you will be the only one. Congratulations, you're having another girl. 
I remember that day very well. I remember, in fact, every day we had a child and brought a child home. Maybe you remember what it was like the day your favorite team finally won a championship. And yes, I do emphasize the word finally. Maybe more personal to you. Maybe you don't remember the specific day. Maybe you do. But maybe you remember the day of your salvation. Maybe you remember the day of what it was like when Jesus Christ revealed himself to you. When all of a sudden, uh, calling Jesus Savior and Lord became not just something that we said, but actually something that we actually believed. I wonder if you remember that day well. I do. I remember sitting in the living room on a phone connected to a wall. Does anybody remember those? Praise the Lord. And I remember what it was like hearing the gospel that day and what it was like coming to seeing Jesus Christ for the first time, coming to faith in my own living room. Matter of fact, I remember the man who shared the gospel with me that day. Remember what he looked like? In fact, what's the, the funny part of that story is to me, 20 plus years later, I saw this man again and immediately recognized him in a crowd as if his face was just etched in my mind forever. You see, we all have moments that when we recall them, we know exactly what happened. We know exactly where we were. We know what things looked like around us. We know what even things smelled like around us. We can recall those moments because they were important to us as if they happened yesterday. And then what's interesting is as we move further and further away from when those moments actually occurred, what ends up happening is we come upon days where we are then reminded of what happened in those moments. And we are reminded of what happened on those days and we ultimately look at each other and we say to one another never forget so this morning and for the next several weeks I believe that in second Peter Peter will now remind the church of many foundational truths that we already know to be truth but what we're going to see is that Peter is going to call the church to never forget what it is that they have learned about Jesus Christ and what they now have in Jesus Christ in fact, I believe Peter's goal for 2 Peter is very simple. It's to remind the church of the goodness of the gospel so that the church can withstand the attacks that are coming from false teachers that are now entering into the local church. You see, Peter wanted the church to remember what was sufficient to get them through life. He wanted them to remember the words of Jesus Christ. He wanted them to never forget the word of God. So in a day and a time which we are now living where the church is becoming more and more accepting of cultural worldviews and social worldviews that are not backed by the word of God, we, like the church during Peter's day, must now hold fast to the doctrinal lines that are found in the word of God. So this morning, let's look at Peter's writing and be reminded of the truth that we are now called to hold tightly to as we never forget. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 2 Peter. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 1. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Peter writing. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he writes, Simon Peter, or Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, this morning, we are actually going to walk through some background information about Second Peter and about Peter himself. And hopefully what we're going to see this morning is that Peter really sets before us the big picture or the big theme of his letter. And so through our text this morning, I hope that we, like the, the audience that Peter is speaking to, would never forget that it is God who has now provided all that we need in order for us to grow in our understanding of who God is, but also so that we can continue to be formed more and more in the image of Christ. So what's going to happen over the next seven weeks together as we study 2 Peter, each week we're going to see our theme build off what it is that Peter has now called us to never forget. So let's jump back into our text and see how Peter now calls these particular believers to never forget God's provision. You see, Peter teaches the church specifically about three items that we should ultimately find within uh, within God's provision. So let's look again at first one and see the background here. Notice it opens by saying Simon Peter or Simeon Peter, depending on your translation, a servant, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice that Peter jumps right out of the gate here in his letter and immediately introduces himself as the author. Now, several scholars have actually argued that Peter was not the author of 2 Peter. However, none of these arguments have been able to overshadow the natural and literal understanding that the apostle Peter himself wrote this letter. In fact, Peter introduces himself as Simeon, which was rarely used in the New Testament. In fact, you have to go back to the book of Acts to see when Peter actually referred to himself this way again. You see, Simeon was actually the Hebrew name for Simon, which Peter would use on occasion in order to indicate authenticity. In other words, he would use Simeon in order to prove that he was Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But then notice where he goes in the text from there as he's introducing himself. Peter calls himself a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter uses the word servant here, which is the same word as either slave or bondservant, as well as the word apostle. Now, Peter's point here was to share with the readers that he was both a servant of Christ, meaning serving God faithfully in humility, and an ambassador, or in the Greek, apostolos, which in the Greek means an official representative charged with a, with a commission. Now, notice Peter's point in calling himself both a servant and an apostle. He wanted to point out that he was both a humble servant of the Lord and a humble servant to the church, but he was also a bold proclaimer of Jesus Christ, who is truly Savior and Lord. 
So notice in Peter's and his own introduction is calling other Christians to both humbly serve and at the same time boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but a year ago and several years before that, we used to say to one another here at the church that at Southside, we are together as one and we teach faithfully and we love boldly. That's the same thing that Peter was telling these believers as he was introducing himself to them. Now, just so we can get the timeline correct on when Peter is writing, clearly this is sometime after his first letter, but then just before his death, which would have put this letter prior uh, to AD 68. But now, as we come back to the text, Peter is now going to give us an idea of who the recipients are of this letter. So we have an author, we have a date, and now here are the recipients. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter reveals that he's not writing to just the church in general, but rather he is writing to a specific group of people. So this letter is going to be very different and a little more personal than what we saw in 1 Peter as he was writing to the church and the churches preparing them for the persecution to come. In fact, as we dive into this letter, I think we're going to notice together that this particular letter that Peter writes actually has more of a, a Gentile flair to it, if you will, which should lead us to believe and understand that Peter was actually probably writing, instead of the church general, he was writing to a group of Gentiles within the church or maybe a church that was made up of mainly Gentiles. Now, this would be important for us to understand because if you look at the next phrase, Peter says, a faith equal to ours. You see, Peter wanted this group of Gentiles to know that the faith that they now have received through Christ is the same saving faith, the same salvation that Jesus offered to his earliest and closest followers. In other words, Peter, in writing to this audience and speaking of a faith equal to ours, was reminding the believers that their faith was given to them as a gift of God's grace and as a gift of God's provision. And yet at the same time, it was the same faith that was given to the apostles. Thus, these believers, and Peter already encouraging them, wanted them to know that through God's provision, they now share in what it is that the apostles have. In other words, Peter is already refuting the false teachers in his day by saying to them, listen, those people who walk into your church who claim to be followers of God, but then yet in the same voice will tell you that they are some sort of super apostle, that they are some sort of, hey, we are closer to God than you are, therefore you should listen to us. What they are saying is not true because they, uh, these Gentile believers that Peter is speaking to, he says to them, you are not less than the apostles as these false teachers would have you believe. And so from there, Peter continues by saying that this faith that they have now been given, this faith that has put them on equal plane with other, the other believers, this glorious and, and unmerited standing that they now have is theirs by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice what Peter now says to them. He says, listen, church, what we have, we have not by our own merit. We have not because of what it is that we have done. But rather, what we have, we have because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. 
This faith, this righteousness we now have, we have because of what it was that Jesus Christ has done for us. As one scholar notes, he says, listen, our ability to stand before God someday as rescued and reclaimed persons depends entirely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It was Christ alone who has flown through this world without falling, and he alone can and did make atonement for sin. Thus, he alone can bring us home. You see, the truth that Peter wanted these Gentile believers to understand was this. We cannot get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. So in opening his letter this way, Peter wanted to make sure that the believers would stand fast and be firmly fixed on a faith that had been given to them, a faith in knowing that it was Jesus Christ who is the solid rock upon which they now stand. So you see in Peter's opening introduction, in his opening verse, he teaches that God's provision reveals our background. In other words, it reveals our knowledge that we are now firmly planted within and upon Jesus Christ, who, through faith in Christ, has now made all of us who believe in him equal in standing when it comes to grace. From there, Peter moves to his second point. So in giving us first the background, which is that we are rooted in Jesus Christ. Secondly, he goes on to verse 2, and he says this, Now receive the blessing. So we move from the background to the blessing. Verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So Peter, like he did in his first letter, now offers a common blessing to the body of believers. Now we've already spent a good bit of time in 1 Peter talking about grace and peace. But just to get everybody caught up so we're on the same page, let's define these words again. Grace being the resource God gives to undeserving sinners for both conversion and sanctification. And peace being the joy and contentment we now have in being made right with him by him. So now when you put these words together, grace and peace, that grace and peace now describe the blessed condition of being right with God and therefore growing in the image of Jesus Christ. Now again, spoiler alert. Peter is going to close second Peter with the same idea of being blessed with grace and peace. It's just like he did in 1 Peter, okay? Nothing new under the sun here. However, by offering this blessing again, Peter is now hoping to see grace and peace multiplied in the lives of believers as they continue to be sanctified and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, which now leads Peter to address how grace and peace can be multiplied within our lives. He says in the text in verse 2, in the knowledge of God, and Jesus and of Jesus our Lord. Notice that Peter now reminds the believers that grace and peace within our lives are increased as we grow in knowing God through Jesus Christ who is our savior. And that is a knowledge that as believers in Christ that we need to be reminding one another of on a regular basis. This is why around here we believe it is a good idea to keep the word of God permeated and saturated through and in everything we do. This is why we actually do communion every week at the end of our services, to be reminded of the gospel and what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. 
It's also why when you walk in and out, you walk through red doors. Okay, we didn't just paint them red because I like the color red. Okay, we didn't paint them red because we were trying to trip up people who were colorblind around here. No, we painted them red so that when people walk in, when we walk in, we are reminded that we come together and we can worship God because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. When we leave this place, we get to leave boldly knowing that because of the atonement, because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we now have a good news message to share. In fact, this is even why we have gospel communities. And I'm going to go ahead and say as a shameless plug, man, I think it would be good for each of our gospel communities uh, to open with a word of prayer or anytime you're gathered with body of believers to be to open with a word of prayer. But when you're especially in your gospel communities, I think it would be great to have each of these communities open with one person within the community sharing the gospel with everybody else there. Why? Because if you have a new neighbor show up who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, guess what you've just done? You've just opened your gathering by telling them the good news of Jesus Christ. But I think we should also do it for the purpose of encouragement. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, as as believers in Jesus Christ, there is encouragement in being reminded of the gospel. There is an encouragement of being reminded of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And so I think we should open with the gospel in order to encourage one another as well. But at the same time, I think that even as we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, man, may we just proclaim the gospel over one another so that, as Peter says, that we would never forget. You see, knowing that Jesus Knowing Jesus and having a knowledge of Jesus Christ. When Peter speaks of this knowledge, he's speaking more than just a personal exercise in knowledge for the purpose of taking a test. You see, there's not going to be a a pop quiz at the gates and at judgment. Knowing Jesus should not be equated to those of us who like to play Sudoku. Or for those of you online who play Wordle once a day in order to, quote-unquote, keep your mind sharp. Rather, what Peter is speaking of when he talks about knowing Jesus and the knowledge of of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, he's actually talking about a genuine, personal relationship and experience with Jesus Christ, recognizing that Christ alone is the only way for anyone to ever truly know God. And so for Peter, this would be important for the Gentiles to know. Because in knowing Christ and knowing God through Christ... Peter says this is the only way that we could ever know true grace and true peace. And that itself is the very heart of the gospel. Knowing grace and peace that is rooted in knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. So when we come back to the text and we see Peter use this word knowledge, he's actually referencing the full, most intimate kind of knowledge. Not something to be taken lightly, nor is it to be something taken flippantly as believers. This is why as believers in Christ, uh, whether we are in service or in adult discipleship, hearing the word taught, hearing the word preached, even in our gospel communities as we encourage one another with the word of God, by the word of God, even with our elders, this is why every person who stands and proclaims the word of God should desire for their church to be bathed in the word of God. 
Again, this is why we sing the songs that we do. This is why we read the scriptures that we do. We didn't just invent something new. It's because we want to be reminded of what it is that the word of God teaches us about God and about Jesus Christ. And yet here's what happens, particularly in Western society. There comes times where people walk into our churches and and maybe this is you. This has been me before. Maybe this has been you. And we hear the word of God and we think to ourselves, man, this teaching has become too repetitive. This teaching has become too repetitious. This this way of singing, this way of doing service has become too repetitive. It's it's become boring. Well, I just want to share with you, if that's you and that's been where you've been before, maybe you're there now, I do not know. But I want you to understand that much of the letter that we're about to study together here in 2 Peter, you can actually compare to what's already been said in 1 Peter. In fact, I would encourage you to not only read 1 Peter again, but maybe add Jude to your reading as well. Because if you read Jude in light of 2 Peter, you're almost reading identical letters. So why would that matter? Because Peter understood what God already knew. That repetition can be a good thing. In fact, repetition in our lives is a needed thing as we remind one another of the gospel. Repetition is how we build knowledge. In our jobs, in our skills, we only get good at what we do because of repetition. We continue to work at our craft in order to be better at our craft, do we not? In sports, we practice. Why? To get better. In our homes, we practice serving one another and caring for one another. And in our marriages, we don't often get it right, but does that mean we quit? No, we continue to practice so that we can better serve our spouses and better serve our children. Why? Because we want to be the best spouse that we can possibly be in order to glorify God. So clearly, if repetition is important in our home, it's important in our athletics, it's important in our lives in terms of the places we work, then why would we think repetition is not important to the Word of God? In fact, we don't just find repetition right here in 2 Peter when you compare it to 1 Peter and Jude. Look throughout the Bible. It's full of repetitions. There are so many cross-references from Genesis 1 to Revelation that it would just make you go crazy. But let's be a little more specific here. If you were to study 1 and 2 Chronicles, for example, you would notice that 1 and 2 Chronicles literally repeat most of what has already been said from 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. It's the same story. When you study Psalms, some of you are, are reading a Psalm a day. Praise God for that. But you've probably noticed by now that Psalms is literally an echo, chamber, an echo chamber of the same attributes and the same characteristics of God. And they're repeated over and over and over again. In fact, the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets themselves, all of them were in step together with common themes like law and judgment and the need for forgiveness and thus the need for a Savior who was to come. Even the Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, our very Gospels recount the same stories of Jesus' life, ministry, and teaching from a different perspective. So hear me this morning, okay? 
Peter is not calling the believers to stop reading or stop growing in their knowledge because of repetition, but rather what he is teaching is that we need to be reminded of the truth over and over and over and over again. Thus, repetition is needed for the believer. In fact, in a world that champions truth now as relative, Christians need to have a strong foundation of objective reality in order to navigate our journey home. In other words, we need to be willing to remind ourselves of truth, capital T, truth, and thus, through that repetition, be willing to boldly stand on truth as well. I mean, just think about it this way. It's almost, it's almost like using GPS in your car. Does anybody still do that? I've lived here for four and a half years now, and I still have to Google how to get around Brandon, Florida. Okay, because I don't always know the best way around. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you this week, I put uh, my Google Maps to the test because uh, my girls, if you haven't figured this out, we are knee-deep in volleyball. I have learned a lot about volleyball, love the game of volleyball. But what I've also learned with our team is we traveled everywhere this week uh, not Brandon at all. We went to St. Pete. We went down to Bradenton. We were in Lakeland. I, we went to places I didn't even know existed, okay? Cool places, fun places, had a lot of, a lot of fun, loved the game. But I'm going to tell you, I would not have gotten there if it wasn't for the GPS in my car. You see, I trusted that voice in my car, that sweet sounding voice to give me accurate information and directions based on what was known to be true. You see, as Christians, we need to immerse ourselves in the knowledge of God, which means knowing the Word of God, so that we can have clear directions, i.e. we are growing in our knowledge, not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge as well, so that that knowledge will lead us to capital T truth and thus lead us home, which is a road that is paved with grace and with peace. So Christian, this morning, if you could hear Peter's words in verse 2, hear and receive the blessing of grace and the blessing of peace from the word of God. But remember, that grace and that peace is not, not, uh, just, uh, is, is not only found in, in what we have in the word, but it is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is leading us and compelling us and calling us home to God. And so in a world that champions my truth, in a world that champions, well, there's my truth and then there's your truth, let's stay grounded on what is real truth. You see, my truth and your truth, they aren't truths at all. They're really opinions. What is true is what we know to be true according to the word. And that truth is found and rooted in the blessing that is the gospel, which is God's provision to us. So as God's people, people living in light of the truth, people living in light of capital T truth that is rooted in the gospel, let's recognize God's provision with the gospel and therefore let's grow in our knowledge of the gospel. Let's continue to be sanctified and mature as we speak 
the gospel over one another and to one another. And then as believers resting in God's provision, which is the blessing of grace and peace, let's now go out into our world and boldly proclaim that gospel, which is the only truth. This leads to Peter's third point on God's provision and how we should never forget it. You see, after revealing that God's provision gives us the background that we are now rooted in Christ, followed by the blessing that because of Christ we have now been gifted with grace and peace, Peter now closes out these verses and his introductory remarks on God's provision by giving us really the big picture or the big theme of this letter. Now, we've already stated this at the very beginning, but notice what Peter teaches. He teaches that God has provided everything that we need to grow in Christ's likeness as we wait for his return, even in the face of trials, even in the face of adversity, and in the face of celebration, God has provided all that we need. Look with me again in verse 3. Peter writes, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Did you catch what Peter is teaching right here just in verse 3? He says, look, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are being made into his image. We are being conformed into his image. And it is Christ who has now ordained the process of getting us there, getting us not only in the image of God, but then getting us closer to eternity. Thus, God has now promised that we will one day arrive safely and securely into his kingdom and into his glory. I mean, what a triple threat blessing and promise that we now have from Christ, according to Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says to us, first, you were made in his image. Praise God. Second, it is God himself through Christ who has ordained your steps. Third, and hear this blessing. He has promised you a safe and secure arrival. Now listen, this does not mean that things are all of a sudden going to get easy because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. No, what he is saying is this, hey, no matter what comes in this life, know that it has already been ordained. Jesus Christ is not surprised by what happens in our life. Now, some would take this to say, okay, so what you're saying is when I sin, Christ has ordained my sin. No, that was your own choosing. However, what Christ has ordained is the fact that you can be forgiven and grace be shown and life restored because it is Christ who has continued to sanctify you and sanctify me as we continue on this path that is leading to his glory. And what is giving us this safety and security is knowing that as Jesus Christ is our Savior and he is our Lord, we know that one day, whether in trial, whether in tragedy, whether we go peacefully, we will arrive in eternity with King Jesus, and we will spend eternity in the glory of God. That is our assurance. So looking at this text, Peter speaks in verse 3 of this life and this godliness. Now this life he's speaking of is, is the true life that God intended for us to have. And this godliness he speaks of is centered more on practical conduct than it is devotional service. Meaning this, Peter's teaching the church that Christ has made it 
possible for us to grow and mature in the life that we were now created to have. A life that was once lost due to sin, but has now been restored to us by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and his glorious resurrection. You see, Peter teaches us that God's provision has blessed us not only to be created in his image, but has blessed us to see that we are called to lead a life for his glory that will one day end at the celebration of his resurrection and eternity that is to come with him. Peter goes on from there and we read the source of this incredible life and the source of this godliness. He teaches us that this life and godliness is now found in his divine power. In other words, Christ's power is ultimately ongoing and it will get us to where it is we need to be. You see, it is Christ's power that leads us to true life in him. It was Christ's power that called us to him. It is Christ's power that matures us in Christian conduct. And thanks be to God, it is Christ's power that does not nor will not ever run out on us, nor does it ever start flashing that it's getting close to empty like our cars do. You see, Peter assures the believers that we have all that we need to mature in faith and be faithful to the calling that he has placed on us and on each of our lives because of the divine power that has been given to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. That's why he says, and he has granted to us all things. See, Peter's reminding the Gentiles here that we have all that we need to grow in our faith. We have all that we need because of God's provision. So Christian, can I tell you something today? You're not lacking. You have all that you need because God provides. Thanks be to God for what he has given. When was the last time we paused and just said, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Lord, I don't understand what it is I'm going through. Lord, I wish I had more of this. When was the last time we just stopped and said, God, thank you for what it is that you have provided. Thank you for what it is that you are doing in my life. Thank you for what it is that you have blessed me with. And I'm not just talking about stuff. I'm talking about the fact that we even have salvation. Peter goes on from there and he reminds the believers that we have what we have. And here's that fun word again. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Now notice what Peter is saying. He's saying that through Christ, we can experience true life and godly living. But at the same time, we now have the same knowledge that allows us to experience true life and true living, which will ultimately call us to him. And so this knowledge that has been given to us by the divine power of Jesus Christ is now calling us and compelling us to draw closer to him. I mean, praise God for how it is that he is now at work in us and through us and around us. We don't have a faith that says our deity showed up, gave us stuff, set the clock in motion, and then walked away. No, Jesus is with us. He is in us, working around us, 
through us by the Spirit of God. And praise be to God, we are never alone. In fact, we move on from there in the verse 4. Notice where Peter goes with this promise and this blessing of God's provision. He says, by which he, he being Christ, has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now these precious and very great promises that we're being reminded of, is the fact that we now share in a union with Jesus Christ that has come upon us at conversion. So notice this. When Peter speaks of being partakers of divine nature, he's not saying what other people want to believe in that we will one day become gods ourselves, but rather what he is saying is that we will continue to grow and be sanctified as we draw closer to Jesus Christ and closer to the day where we are united with him for all eternity. I mean, Christian, do you realize today that you are being sanctified? Okay, can I just say something to you? Sanctification is not a one-and-done type thing. It's a process. Okay, don't believe me? Raise some kids. Right? No no, no offense to any of the kids in the room. But it is a sanctifying process being a a parent, is it not? It really is. It's a sanctifying process. It's a, it's a sanctifying, it's a, it's a glorifying process, I think, to be a grandparent. You get to just bless the kids, send them home with sugar, and send them home to mom and dad, right? It's super easy. But it's a sanctifying process, which, oh, by the way, my children, do not go home to me today, and, and this is for all the kids in the room, do not go home, upset your parents, and say, hey, this is a part of your sanctification. Bad idea. Don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. Yeah, I see my kid in the back making notes. That's why I had to say that, FYI. But it really is. Sanctification in itself is a process. We are constantly growing in him, being sanctified in him, looking more and more like his image. It is a process that we are now going through. And so when when Peter speaks of being partakers of divine nature, he is speaking of this process that is happening within us as we draw closer to Christ and closer to the day where we are reunited with him for all of eternity. Now, Peter goes from there and he literally says this. He's reminding the believers that God's provision gives us assurance of knowing again that one day we will be reunited with him in glory. Now, think about this for a second, Christians. If sanctification is a process, look at how this plays out in your life. You ready? Not just in children. Look at how it plays out in your life. Do you realize that God has given us the opportunity to be able to read about him according to the word? And that is a sanctifying process? That's a blessing. Do you realize that we get to come to church? And I'm not talking about buildings. I don't care about the buildings, man. We We could be outside right now sweating to death. Please, Lord, no. But we could. Because it's about the body of believers. It's the body of believers, not the building. And that is a sanctifying process. We, we, get to, we get to pray individually. We get to pray together. And guess what that is? It's a sanctifying process. So if you ever find yourself in your faith in a rut where you're like, oh, I have to read the word today. Or, oh, I got to go to church. Or, oh, I have to listen to my pastor who's just this loudmouth freak. Uh, whatever it is you're going through right now, if that's what you're thinking right now, don't think that way. Because really, the fact that we get to gather for the purpose of prayer, the fact that we get to pray individually, the fact that we get to read the word both individually and corporately, the fact that we get to gather for corporate worship, this is a sanctifying process that God has given to us. In other words, what we are doing right now, we do because of the provision of God. Praise God 
for the opportunity that he has given to us to be sanctified. Notice what Thomas Schreiner says. He says this. He says, if there is now not a future coming of Christ, then the salvation of believers does not include the promise of likeness to God, being, being grown in image, and, and being sanctified in the image of God, and therefore the gospel itself is a sham. You see, as believers, we need to hold tightly to the knowledge of the gospel, knowing that the knowledge of the gospel will one day, through that knowledge, one day we will know physically, visibly, what we've already read to be true. We will know of his return. We will know of his glory. We will know of the promised restoration. Now notice this in the text. One final phrase, okay? I mean, I could spend so much time right there. We're going to move on. One final phrase in the text. Peter says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, let's pause there because here we see that due to our ever-increasing knowledge of the Lord, we can now know that we are being released from war within ourselves. We are being released. The more we grow in our image of Christ, the more we are being sanctified in Christ, um, we can now be released from our sinful flesh because we now know the way to overcome. And we desire that which allows us to overcome, which is the precious promises of Jesus Christ. So Christian, i got to ask you this morning in reading verse 3 and 4, do you hear what Peter is saying? Do you see the big picture here? God's provision has provided everything that we need to know in order to grow in the image of Jesus Christ. God's provision has provided everything that we need to be assured of our salvation. God's provision has provided everything that we need in order to know that one day he will see us through to the very end. And because of these promises, because of these precious gifts, we can now deny the world, we can now deny our sinful desires, for we now know how to overcome. We now know that there is something better, that there is something greater out there, and it's found in Jesus Christ who is our Savior and Lord. I mean, what joy and hope has been given to us by our gracious Redeemer. And you know, the great part of it is this. As Peter is writing these words, we can actually, in knowledge, read the Bible and see the assurance of what it is that Peter is talking about. Look over at Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Here's the promise. Here's the Here's the end of that sanctification when glorification happens and we, we find ourselves before the throne of God. He says in verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That is the hope that we have in the provision of God. You see, we today live in a world that lacks truth. Everybody has an opinion, and they call it truth. But the reality is this. God's provision is what has given us the greatest truth. In fact, the only truth that we need. Through knowing that we are now 
rooted in Christ, this background of who we are, should lead us to know the blessing of grace and peace in a way that the world does not yet know, which should ultimately lead us then to the big picture of God's provision that should show us the perspective that God has now given us everything that we need to grow, to be sanctified, and to prepare for the life that is to come. You see, God's provision has given us everything that we need to grow in grace. He's given us everything that we need to grow in truth that has been provided through, according to Peter, our knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And then here's what's so beautiful about Peter's words. You see, the beauty of this passage is found throughout the grand narrative of the Word. In fact, what Peter speaks of here today, this provision, was planned from the very beginning of creation by God. Thus why we can prepare, thus why we can hope, thus why we can know that God alone has provided. So Christian, hear the encouragement in Peter's opening words of this letter when he says, never forget God's provision. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together.